There are conflicting reports about how Jack Antonoff first became acquainted with New Zealand pop standout Lord. Some claim that the two met at a Grammys after-party in 2014 through Taylor Swift. Others note that the two were introduced to each other by Antonoff's then-girlfriend and walking victim complex Lena Dunham at a Grimes concert in 2015. Whenever the two actually met is unknown, but what we do know is that what followed set off a catastrophic series of events. In mid-2015, Lord split from her longtime boyfriend James Lowe. By December of that year, Lord found herself in Electric Lady Studios with the aforementioned Antonoff to begin work on her second record. The two were spotted at Coachella together in 2016, then again on SNL the following year as Lord performed two new tracks in a wedding dress as Antonoff played piano behind her. After years of hype, Melodrama, Lord's second full-length album, was released in June of 2017. To end that year, Antonoff and Public Enemy No. 1 Lena Dunham announced their breakup, revealing that the process had been going on for six months which would date back to when Melodrama was released. This is not to say that Lord and Jack Antonoff had an affair in the midst of creating Melodrama, a coming-of-age breakup album that would go on to be nominated for Album of the Year at the 2018 Grammys. Despite evidence pointing in that direction, Antonoff, Lord, and Mother Nature's least favorite daughter, Lena Dunham, have all denied these claims. However, given the intensity, urgency, and devastation that is packed into Melodrama's 11 songs, what I'm saying is... Those rumors could be true. Because after all, Melodrama is an art school album. My guest today, back on the show, and I'm so excited she's back because I talk to her about every day, but rarely is it captured in audio form. My guest today is Marie Jurassic. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. This is a special episode. Uh, you are the penultimate guest of what I guess we'll call the first oh. iteration of the Article Albums podcast. Next week, the finale. For a while, we're going to take a hiatus, uh, see what exactly I want to do with the show. But essentially, mm. we're going to take a summer break. We were on break. We're going to take a summer break. Uh, but we're going to close things out uh, with you this week and then a very fun episode next week. And to talk about it up front, uh, we're doing an album today that many people have requested a frequent, like, cause I tell people when they're a guest on the show, send me three to five albums you'd like to talk about and we can narrow yeah. it down from there. This is on just about every list I get. And I that constantly, I constantly tell people, no, it's too popular. No, I don't really <laughs> want to talk about it. No, I'm not really that interested in it. But when Marie <laughs> Jurassic suggests this album, I go, you know what? That is a great idea for an episode. She could have this. She could have whatever she wants. I don't care. I'm not going to tell her no. Uh, so we're talking about melodrama today. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Be I expressed this to you before, but it's a lot of pressure when you say, oh, a lot of people wanted to talk about this album. And I said, no, but you can do it because I don't want to let, I don't know these people, but I don't want to let them down. <laughs> I do feel like I'm surrounded by a lot of Lord fans in my life. She's a, she's a cool girl. She's a, I, I'll say it. Lord's a cool girl in between you thriving in your early twenties, between Lord thriving in her early twenties, between yeah. Taylor Swift thriving at whatever age she is. It she's seems like, like in it, her thirties. Is she really? Yeah. I'm pretty sure she's going to be 32 this year. Or Who would have thought? Uh, it Me, just seems, everybody. <laughs> it just seems like it's a good time. She is 31 years old. She'll be 32 this year. Yeah. I remember 30 being like a big age for her. It seems like a good time to be a powerful woman. Like 
you guys are thriving right now and I would lump you into the category of Lord and Taylor Swift. I, I hope you're okay oh, with wow. that. Well, I have not achieved their success. They both have I they both have Grammys and I don't, but I appreciate it. I don't also think I'd ever have a Grammy. That's okay. I I would like you to get a Grammy. Don't I don't know what the roadmap is. Yeah, to I there. don't know how I'm gonna do that, but I'll try. The opening segment on this podcast over the past few weeks has really become Taylor Swift talk because a lot of people have opinions they want to voice about Taylor Swift. Hmm. We've been talking about it constantly. I know you have a lot you want to get out there. I'm just going to, I'm going to lob the topic into the air of Taylor Swift and you can hit a home run in whatever direction you would like. You have the floor. Well, I feel like Taylor Swift is kind of a divisive character. People are like, oh, I hate her. Oh, I love her. Or they're neutral. So (laughs) really not. Well, it's pretty normal. But um, Taylor Swift is very intriguing to me in the way that she acts in pop culture. And I'm very interested in um, like media studies and the way trends come and go. And I think that Taylor Swift does a really good job of uh, not letting her audience down because she also never gives them a break. <laughs> like there's uh, nothing is ever just I'm putting out I'm putting out this single or I'm doing this interview, um, which keeps the fans engaged because there's always something more and you always know that there's something more. And so that is really intriguing. It's a really interesting way to go about your music career, um, that it's not just about music, almost like it's a game. And uh, I think that's really cool. I also like watching the way that the way her sound has grown and the way that um, she as a person has grown. I don't think she's perfect by any means. Um, She like obviously has... Uh, a lot to learn still but I think especially with the fearless Taylor version coming out I think that that is um I was just really excited about what it would do for the music industry in the sense of like what does it mean to re-record like a number one album and like hope that it does well and I think while a lot of people claim that it just did well because she's Taylor Swift, which part of that is true, I think a lot of it was the nostalgia of it that people really enjoyed. Um, I know for me, like listening to Fearless when I was really young and then listening to it now again, um, felt like growing up with her, which was really spooky. I didn't expect that to be like, whoa, this feels so weird. Like I remember listening to this when, I don't know, I was probably like eight or 10. I can't really remember. And now I'm 24 and like, I like cried to 15, like didn't expect to do that, but it was just like, so it was just like, so weird to remember that feeling of being in high school, you know, and being like, what? like, it just was crazy. And, um, but also very empowering knowing that like, she gets to say like a giant fuck you to these people that won't give her her music back. And, um, she really is a powerhouse. I think it's great. I think like do whatever you want like Taylor Swift can do whatever she wants I'm not like a very much tied to it but I just think it's always interesting to watch like it's always on my radar that she's doing something what do you think about her continuous shifts in persona because I feel like you're someone at least the way I know you that latches onto authenticity yeah kind of see through things and I know for me reputation era Taylor Swift not for me. I was like, this is weird. This mm. is phony. I don't like this. And even now the folklore stuff, 
it's fine. I I don't yeah. know. I think you. It's hard to buy into your folk roots when you're a multimillionaire. Oh yeah, I when I see her going through these different eras, as they call them, I don't see it necessarily as her being like her authentic self. I see it as performance art. She's playing a character, and she um, is almost method acting. Like if she's going to do this like really deep, intense, almost rock album like reputation it's not a full rock album but it's the only thing i could think of like she's gonna play that part just like she's going to play that uh really innocent bubbly girl on speak now just like she's going to play like that cool teen hipster on 1989 and then that like um really uh like almost like quote unquote cottage core like peaceful folk person on folklore and i think um all of it has to do with her presence in the media like i don't I think it all goes back to the way that she interacts with her fans and the way that she interacts with um, her music. Like it's all a performance piece. An album is never just an album. So she's going to play the character. She's going to dress the part. She's going to drop the clues. She's going to get everybody in on this experience because it is a really cool experience to buy the cardigan and to like, uh, she did like a series of paintings for folklore and then sold them as puzzles. And like all this thing is, um, engaging with her fans because it's not, it goes beyond the music. It becomes an interactive experience. And I think that's really cool. I think, um, it obviously makes her money and I really find musicians who make it sort of like an artistic piece, really engaging, which is why I think, um, Lord's music is engaging to bring it back to her. Like that's why melodrama is engaging and why pure heroin was engaging. And it's why I really like Jack's mannequin because I feel like the way that they present themselves is not just with an album. It's sort of like a whole experience. It's immersive. I've really grown to respect that about Miley Cyrus in particular. Oh yeah. I, I don't, I don't like her music. I've never really been a fan of it, but I like that she has kind of bounced from obviously like Disney era Miley Cyrus to Mm -hmm. bangers era Miley Cyrus. Mm -hmm. But once she came out of that, she did the country album and now she's doing the seventies rock album. And it's not for me. I don't, I don't necessarily like it, but I do like that. She throws herself in Mm -hmm. and it it is, I chalk it up to be performance art. And right now she's playing this character in, I respect it to some extent. I think Miley yeah. Cyrus is very interesting. I think it's really fun when musicians commit to the bit. Like very that's what so. it feels like to me. And if Taylor Swift is going to uh, cut her hair off and bleach it and then put out an album like Reputation, like do it. Like that's fine by me. Like do whatever you want because you're committing to it. And that's also her style. Like it would... I think it would feel weird if Taylor, like even with like the um, Fearless Taylor's version, she started to sort of pull in elements of like the original Fearless era while also giving it like a new sort of feel. Um, I think that if Taylor Swift were, were to release an album or a re-recording and not commit to the bit, it would feel weird. People would be like, this is strange because that's the type of performance that she gives. I'm so, I'm so hyped for her re-recordings though. We've talked about this separately. Um because as much as I like Taylor Swift as an artist, I think it's, I get that maybe she's not for everyone, but I feel like it's almost like Coldplay in the sense that like, you might not like Coldplay, but you, there's one song that you're like, okay, this is pretty good. And I Yellow, feel like Taylor undeniable. Yes. Everybody has one because there's just so much in their catalog. And I feel like Taylor Swift is the same way. Um, 
that there's at least a few Taylor Swift songs that, I mean, when we were talking about it, you were like, I really do love You Belong With Me. You Belong like, With Me, I said it last week, other than maybe Hey Ya and <laughs> Let's Get This Party Started, <laughs> the best pop song of the 2000s. It's like the, her. there's something for everybody in there, whether you know it or not. Um, but I also just like her music. I like all her albums, but I really enjoy 1989. And I really enjoy Red and I'm really hyped for both of those. But right now, mostly 1989 because everybody thinks that's everybody thinks that's what is coming next. And I am going to eat that. It's going to be so great. It's going to be, I'm so excited. I don't even, what's on 1989? What was the hit off that? Um. Okay, so there were a few. The first, I think the first signal, single off of it was Shake It Off. I and like that And then she, there was also Blank Space which was really, really big. Um, was there like a big music video for that? Yeah, Blank Space is the one that she wrote where she sort of like played into this narrative that the media has given her of like this serial dater. Yeah. That she like dates men and then she writes songs about them. And like, she really um, played into that bit, which I thought was really fun. Like she, in interviews, she talks about how like if they're going to, uh, if people want to pin her as this sort of girl, then like, she's just going to be that girl. Like, if you want me to play that part, I'll be that part. And I think that's so great. It's funny to think like when you say it as just like plainly as that, oh, she dates men and then writes songs about them. And the idea of like, she's doing what now? She's dating these men. How dare she write songs about them? The idea that that is a controversy is very, very funny to me. Well, misogyny. <laughs> that's what it is. It's misogyny. I'm sorry, Marie. I'm sorry. And it's the patriarchy I can't help it. of them being like, this woman is doing all these things. And it's like, well, okay, so what? Like, she, uh, there's this really great quote, I think it's gotten like a little bit more attention now where she's like, um, all these men say like, after I finish dating them, like, you're not going to write a song about me. And I just figure like, if boys don't want me to write like, um, like bad songs about them, maybe they shouldn't do bad things. And it's like, well, maybe that's true. Like maybe these men shouldn't like dump her over the phone and like make her feel like she's crazy. But I also feel like, uh, she also just writes what she knows and that's why like folklore was such an interesting experience because it was all fictional like she didn't she's in a stable relationship she's she wasn't in the public eye she wasn't doing anything so she got to like play in this fantasy space and write these like cool songs which is something we hadn't seen from her uh but also on 1989 there's songs like bad blood was on it that was like a big thing that she had like all this music video with like her squad i don't know um <laughs> It's true. And then there, like Style was on that uh, and Out of the Woods. It's a really great album. 1989 is great. And uh, it to me and, uh, and a lot of people, 1989 won. It's her first pop album. We're not talking about Taylor Swift, but I promise it all connects. No, that's okay. 1989 was like her first official pop album. Red was like a good transition album. It had like a lot of country, but a lot of pop. And I think it's still charted as country, but 1989 was the first official pop album. And a lot of people consider it like peak Taylor Swift. Like it was a great album. We talk about how you think, or like it contributed to the resurgence of vinyl. Like Completely, 19- yes. That is a, played that is a into like this hipster feel, um, Polaroids. And it was so, it was so different from Red, um, which was sort of like this uh, heartbreaking, like really not cohesive sort of crazy, not crazy album, but it sort of feels like um, a tur like a, a lot of turbulence in a relationship like nothing is really making sense whereas 1989 was this whole like resurgent new style new person new persona um re-falling in love like energetic pop it was also the first album that she produced with Jackie Antonoff 
And then, and also 1989, I think came out in, let me, I'm looking it up because I want to make sure. 2014, I believe. Which is the same year that Lord met Jack to work on melodrama. It all connects. Marie Jurassic, you should be hosting this show because that was going to be my next topic was Jack Antonoff. Who was... Okay. I really like Jack Antonoff. I have a lot of feelings about Jack Antonoff. Oh my God. Well, please uh, give them to me because this is a man that is running pop music between his work with Bleachers, his work with Fun, his work oh, with yeah. Taylor Swift, his work with Lana Del Rey, and his work with Lorne. This man is all over the place. Jack Antonoff is great. I have like known of Jack Antonoff for a long time because which was really fun. He was in a band, fun, obviously. Um, and for, I think it was one full tour, maybe. I'd have to relook it up. But um, fun opened for Jack's Mannequin when they were still really small. And, oh, I think a motorcycle is passing. I don't hear it. That's good. This, like, I don't know. Somebody, like, moved into my apartment complex and has this motorcycle, and they work on it all the time, all the time. And I'll be, like, in a meeting, and all of a sudden, like, it's, like, I don't know, like, 1030 in the morning, and a motorcycle, I'm like, what are you doing? Where do you have to go? Anyway, um, he, so Fun opened for Jack's Mannequin on a tour, and that's how my older sister found out about Fun, and then I started listening to Fun. And then Jack Antonoff left Fun and started, I think Fun just, like, fell apart. It was a collective of guys, and I yeah. think it ran its course. Yeah, and um, he started making music of his own, Bleachers. And I, Bleachers started in 2014. And the first song that he released was I Want to Get Better, but I found him from his song Shadow, which is still a great song. Um, and I really, I think he's a really cool musician, Jack Antonoff is. I think he just has, like, a really good eye and, like, ear for things. Um he did date Lena Dunham for a while. Which was but... going to be my my next topic. Lena Dunham, of course. Yeah. Uh, there's It's really frustrating because there's this really great song on 1989. It's such a beautiful love song. I think it's a, a bonus track. It's called You Are In Love. And it's such a beautiful, like, it's such a romantic song. I love it so much. And it's about Jack Antonoff and Lena Dunham. And I just, like, really <laughs> try to wake. She, like, wrote it about, like, their love that they had for each other and how, like, pure it was. And I'm like, Lena Dunham's a terrible person. It's so unfortunate because I do think HB, uh, Girls on HBO is one of the best shows ever. I know. But Lena Dunham sucks. And her character like, her character's irredeemably bad on that show. If is she, she the protagonist? Yes. I okay, so I have this theory that there are some shows out there where it would be better if the protagonist died. <laughs> Archie from Riverdale. We joke a lot about uh, Lucas from One Tree Hill. Maybe Lena Dunham's character from Girls. Like There are TV shows out there where I'm like, this show would be so much better if this character is just like, honestly a side character the thing is if lena dunham wasn't who she was let's say emily osmond was playing oh. hannah on girls just to take emily osmond well-adjusted human never have heard a bad thing about her seems right. very likable if she was playing that character that lena dunham played it would be the greatest singular acting performance mm -hmm. I've ever seen. And it would be a character that would be loved and heralded as like this incredible performance, but it's Lena Dunham playing this character and it turns people off from the show instead because you're like, well, that's just, that's just Lena Dunham, yeah. but she's dating Adam driver. That's not going to happen. But then again, she dated Jack Antonoff and I don't know how she accomplished that. Yeah, I don't either, but they broke up. So it's fine now. Um, <laughs> I really like, anyway, so Jack is a really cool producer. He obviously relies on like a lot of heavy synth um, 
stuff like that. Um, I really liked his work on 1989. I think 1989 won a Grammy for best album of the year. I just had that page up and then I unfortunately I closed out of it. Uh, 1989 did win album of the year, the 2016 Grammy That's Awards, what I thought, yeah. which was a really big deal. And I think that, um, yeah, I just really like the music that he makes. I really like Bleachers as a band, um, their first album. Uh, and then the second, the second album was a lot more experimental than the first. And a lot of people really hated it, but I really loved it. Um, and I know he's working on his third, but he, we haven't really heard a lot. He released a few singles this summer, one with Bruce Springsteen. And what do you think about Bruce? I don't have any sort of type of feeling about Bruce. Like, a I'll cool, just be a cool 24 year old girl doesn't have an opinion about Bruce Springsteen. Is that what yeah. you're telling me? It's fine. That's okay. Do you I have an opinion? I don't. I don't. Yeah, them. I didn't think so. No, I, the gaslighting at them's a band that just, they are doing like punk rock Bruce Springsteen. It's like, well, that seems good enough. I'll just listen to that instead of doing mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen. Um, when I think about Jack Antonoff, I think of the band Fun. I think of the song We Are Young. Mm. And I think about, and we're going to talk about a lot about our hometown of this episode of Fishers, Indiana. Yeah, we are. I think about the song We Are Young, and I think about being in my eighth grade art class. Oh. Where my art teacher was a very pretty lady but she was pregnant and then she went on pregnancy leave maternity leave I couldn't think yeah. of the word and then we had this like art student teacher come in and she was like 22 years old whoa and we were all like a bunch of eighth grade boys were like oh well we're I, she's in love with us like we're going, we're going to we're going to date this, this is- woman for sure and we would just i like whenever i hear that song i just think about failing in this art class because i obviously have no artistic ability but looking at like the teacher's desk and being like oh she she wants some of this i mean who wouldn't want an eighth boy and that is my knowledge of jack antonoff wow when i think of jack antonoff i think of the band fun and then i think of bleachers and i think about listening to uh the first i think it was he had an ep at the time in high school and then i think about i think a lot about summer the season yeah and fun like, seems like a good summer band no just bleachers oh bleachers yeah fair yeah enough. and i i used to there are like a few fun songs that i still listen to i'd have to look them up but like i don't know them off the top of my head but when they come on like a playlist i don't like necessarily skip them but um i prefer his work in bleachers over his work in fun but i think a lot about um driving down like the uh, main road in our home like 106th street or something with laura my twin sister in the bullet which was our really old silver van van sorry that we had that used to only take cds and we had burned um the bleachers ep on it and we would listen to roller coaster you had the Bleachers EP, you had Bourne's Electric Love. What mm-hmm. else was on that CD playlist? Okay, so, oh, it was so good and it like never changed. There was, it was the Bleachers EP, there was um, the Bourne's um, album and the, his first album. And then there was the um, debut album of 1975, the 1975 album. There was um, Coldplay's album, uh, oh shoot, it was their like really... It, ghost stories their album ghost stories and then um the uh andrew mcmahon ep the pop underground and then i think there was one more i think it had like six that you could cycle through uh i'm gonna blank that's okay that's a very i think that's a very eclectic list i think it also. was a switchfoot album 
and that is different than that. I'm glad you said that before I said what I was going to say, because I was like, oh, that seems like a very good way of getting to know Marie, but I wouldn't necessarily put Switchfoot no, on that No, that was Laura. <laughs> yes, that. Laura is a big, Laura was, and probably still is a big Switchfoot fan. And so I think that was it. Well, when it comes to our hometown, the other thing we had to bring up was, I know my introduction to Lord in 2013 when Pure Heroin came out was her single Royals, which changed the cultural landscape of our hometown as we went to a high school whose nickname was the Royals. Yes. And that shit was everywhere, man. I mean, we really lucked into that. A real game-changing moment for our high school. It was the song of, of, of our high school, which was really, really funny to me because... I don't know. It didn't seem like the, we, nobody really listened to the song because they thought it was like really great. They listened to it simply because um, it was the soundtrack to the best yeah, days of our lives. Yeah. Which I don't know. I I have to really, uh, I need to relook up like what even is Royals about the song. I have no idea because I know the music video is very strange. And mm-hmm. whenever I, whenever I think of that era of Lord, it just sends me back to the internet in 2013 where like I, the first time I heard Lord, I don't know this for sure, but what I think happened was I probably was watching a teens react video on the fine brothers YouTube channel. And they were probably reacting to Lord. And I said, well, this girl's pretty cool. And then I, I, I liked her singles from there. And then I stopped thinking about her until the week we're recording this podcast. It's supposed to be sort of like this, um, response on like wealth and like extravagance extravagant bullshit as lord calls it like um extravagant alcohol and cars that didn't represent her reality is just like a kid growing up in new zealand and fishers indiana obviously which is so perfect yeah that like you were gonna get drunk and it's gonna be so fun oh my goodness yeah that was that was big for us and that kind of maybe we didn't relate to this like resurgence in um or like this like up this big like party about this song in our um, hometown because like we also weren't the kids in high school like getting drunk and like driving really nice cars and like having these crazy parties like I definitely knew people who were doing that but we weren't no I remember two things about the student parking lot at our high school I remember that for kids my age there was a row of Camaros every Mm -hmm. kid that had a Camaro lined their car up next to each other and parked next to each other and I remember being disgusted by that a cult it sounds like a cult, but to make matters worse, I parked in the student athletes parking lot and like by the football fields because it was, e- it was easier for me. And I don't need to explain that to you. I don't care. Uh, I parked in that parking. You know, the parking lot I'm talking about. I know exactly the parking lot. You seem surprised by that. I guess just because I like forgot that people parked there. That's the thing is that nobody did. It was much easier to get in and out of that parking lot, but I had this parking spot. It was like my car and then former guest of the show, Madeline Penn, she would park next to me. And then there'd be this whole row. (laughs) There'd be this whole row of pickup trucks. Oh, that that I guess they had this dream of all of the pickup trucks parking in the same row. And one day I was going to my car after school and there was a note on my windshield that said no parking trucks only and parking was spelled P-A-R-C-K-I-N-G. And I thought that was a really good representation of people driving pickup trucks at Fishers, Indiana. Wow. Yeah, probably. Uh, that's really interesting. I'm an interesting guy, Marie. Uh, as I is- didn't realize that par- like even pickup trucks would park over there. We just parked in like the regular student parking lot. 
um, because I never drove to school. Why would I ever be the one driving the car? It was always Laura or we carpooled with our friend Jack. Um, but the only thing I remember about driving to and from school, specifically when we drove, when we would ride in Jack's car is that he worked at a pizza shop at the time and his car always smelled like, not like, like just like stale pizza. And it was terrible. Not that I want to uh, dox Jack, but what pizza store was he working at? Pizza store, pizza restaurant. Yeah, I don't know why I said pizza store. I'm pretty sure it was Pop, not Papa John's. Pizza Papa Hut. Murphy? It was Pizza oh, Hut. Oh, okay, there was a Pizza Hut. Very nice. I've just, I, I uh, miss the pizza landscape of Fishers, Indiana. A lot of different options to choose from. Oh yeah. It's look. I know I live in Chicago, but I miss the pizza. The really shitty pizza, the delivery pizza. We're getting a Shake Shack, I learned the other day. Okay, so I just had Shake Shack for the first time. I can't eat there. Why not? Because the only vegetarian they ha- option that they have is a portobello mushroom burger. And you're not going to do that? I don't like mushrooms. I really like mushrooms. Uh, what I would okay. recommend is to get a milkshake because they're very good. Well, I'll do the milkshake. Very nice. That's perfect. Let's talk about I'll Lord Murray. my boyfriend there. Okay, okay, fine. Your boyfriend case, not yeah, me though. The other case. We discussed out of the Jack's Mannequin episode. Uh-huh. It's it's fine, guys. I'm cool with it. Let's talk about Lord. Yes. Let's talk okay, about let's melodrama. Talk about this album came out June 16th, 2017. You had just finished your sophomore year of college. What mm-hmm. is Marie Jurassic's life like at this time? I had just finished my sophomore year of college. When is did that... it? It came no, out no, no, in November. No, no, no. Right? It came no. out. It came out in June of 2017. So I had hadn't started my sophomore. You're right. Year you yet. had just finished your freshman year. Okay. Um. Is that true? Hold on. Let's get this timeline right. I graduated high school right then in 2017. I think you no. Were just so I fi- finished my sophomore year. Yeah. Which is yeah. I was right. I I have no idea. Okay. So. I, okay. What had, what is, what was Marie doing? So I was probably home for the summer. That's probably true. Yeah, that is true. Um, I had gone through a bad breakup sophomore year of college and also started dating somebody great sophomore year of college who I would then live with. It's fine. Um, I was probably working at, uh, the daycare over summer break and yeah. Okay. I have to think about if this was Okay, yeah, then I would have been driving down to visit Case at his parents' house. So when we talked about like listening, when you were like, oh, we can do melodrama, I told you that like one of my, the biggest memories I have about this is when I am a really anxious driver. Like that's just, I don't really like to drive. I'm fine with driving, but I don't really like driving on the interstate. I don't really like going fast. You don't really like merging. It's just like not. If I could have somebody drive me everywhere, I would. Like I, I, just, I look. I never. I if I never drove a car again, I would not. Mess I would up. be fine. I'd yeah. be so fine. So when I would drive down, um, I lived in Fishers, and at that point, Case's Case and his family lived in Greenwood, Indiana. Um, I when I would drive down to visit him at his parents' house, um, I liked to listen to the same thing because it wouldn't distract me when I would be driving, but. Um, I didn't want to do the same thing that I always do, which is put on everything in transit or like put on an Andrew McMahon album. And I knew that like those, I knew that Lord's music had just come out. And before when I'd been driving down, I'd been listening to an EP by the artist Lights. She had a Midnight Memories or not Midnight Memories. That's One Direction. Um, 
she just had like, she just released an acoustic EP. And so I was listening to that. Um, and then I just started listening to melodrama because when the single green light came out, I was like, Oh, I don't really know how I feel about this. And then the album dropped and I was like, I'll just listen to all of it. So I would just listen. I think it was probably like around like a 50 minute drive, maybe an hour drive down. Um, because I would never take the full interstate, which would make it like 40 minutes. I always had to like get off the interstate at some point and take back roads because I'd be like, I'm too scared. And so I would just like listen through this album a bunch um, and uh, just became obsessed with it. And so that's what I was doing is I was visiting my boyfriend on the weekends. I was working at a daycare. I was uh, just like living at home, um, not really doing much. In June of 2017, I had just graduated high school at this yes. point. I am fully entrenched in the Smiths and Morrissey and like that mm-hmm. whole thing. Like this was mm-hmm. the apex of that, of like, that is all I'm listening to a few months earlier. I had finally gotten into collecting records. And so that summer I would work at squeeze play, of mm-hmm. course, the legendary store in Fisher's Indiana and Anderson at Muncie. And whenever I wasn't there, I was at a record store just buying just whatever I could find. I think about the amount of money I spent that summer and it was so gross. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't on my radar at the, my radar at the time. Mm -hmm. It's something that when I got to college, it seemed like everybody either had the poster of this album cover in their dorm room or they were- It's a beautiful cover. It's tremendous. Uh, Or they had it in their record collection. It was just around me. But until this week- I had never heard this album before. And I don't know if you knew that, but all of these songs I had songs figured were new when you me. were like, it doesn't interest me. Like everybody wants to talk about it, but I'm not interested in it. I will say that I, okay. So I had found out about Lord from my friend Tamara in high school. She had shown me um, the Pure Heroin album and she really liked Lord. And so she'd just always been on my radar. And um, then Lord like wrote a song for like a Hunger Games movie. Um, I remember, yeah, really liking that. And uh, kind of in the same way, like, you just have like those artists that are just like on your radar when they release new music. That's what she was like for me. I wasn't actively seeking it out. And so when Greenlight came out, I was really interested in it. Um, And then I remember just like hearing people talk about melodrama and I just really wanted to listen to it. Um, But I don't think I would have listened to it if I wasn't going to like make a long drive where I could just like commit because I think at that point, like nobody was really, well, maybe people were listening to podcasts, but I certainly wasn't. Um, but there was also like- my 2017 podcast had become a thing. I think probably. that was something people were listening to. I wasn't listening to a lot of them though. I just like, I feel like it, they weren't like mainstream in the way that a lot of people listen to podcasts now. The, the market is, oh, well, yeah. It basically A-list celebrities have podcasts now and thus yeah. the market has exploded. And uh yeah, I don't really remember a lot about the summer 20 of 2017, except just like working and um, Laura was gone that summer. She was like, I think uh, on like a trip with our like Christian organization that she was involved in. And so I just remember like being at home a lot alone, just like hanging out. I would visit you at Squeeze Play. This is true. Um, a lot of Marie droppings. That was always a very good time. Yeah, we would that, get that- dinners. Yeah, that Noodles and Company, of course. Uh, This was not in my notes, but this is something you brought up. And I've known you for a very long time. I know a lot of your opinions. I do not know your opinion about this topic. Where do you stand on the Hunger Games? 
I read the books. Um, I remember being like, this is a really interesting, crazy story. I thought the movies were fine. Um, I'm not a Jennifer Lawrence fan. I'm not really either. I just like, to me, I've read better dystopian novels. That like the Hunger Games were not like, they were they were interesting and fun. I thought um, the last book was terrible. I didn't really enjoy it. I thought the second book in the like trilogy was the best. Um, it was definitely something that for me lost steam as I read through it. Um, but the music in the movies are, is like pretty good. Yeah, well, if it's got Lord in it, it's it's probably pretty good because I remember. I'm pretty sure there's also a Taylor Swift song. I, I safe and sound. I know there's a Taylor Swift song. I don't know why I know that. I don't know which song it is, but I know for a fact there's a Taylor Swift song. So obviously we're in good company there as the Jack Antonoff spear, uh, sphere rather mm-hmm. crashes into the Hunger Games. As for melodrama, like I said, I knew none of this album. I knew the mm-hmm. singles off Pure Heroin and I liked mm-hmm. them. Did not motivate me enough to check out this album. Maybe partially because there was a four-year gap in between the records because Lord yeah. is someone who, as as you pointed out, doesn't release music just to release music. And that seems very intriguing to me. And I think that's something you get a kick out of too. Did you listen to Pure Heroin? I only know the hits off of it. Okay. It's a great album too. I'll check it out. I'll take your word for it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's really good. And I think, so uh, The she took a four-year break in between Pure Heroin and Melodrama. Um, and really, uh, when she talks about it, she talked about how she wanted to like retreat from the spotlight and just sort of examine the world around her. And then also that four year gap, she went through her first breakup or like her first big breakup. I think of her boyfriend of, I think maybe three or four years, she ended up breaking up with them and splitting in 2015. Um, which is really interesting because she announced that she was writing a new album in 2014 and it didn't come out until 2017. Um, and in 2015 is when she experienced like the big heartbreak um and so i have like i told you i had written notes about this but in 2016 on her 20th birthday actually she posted like a note on facebook saying like writing pure heroin was my way of enshrining our teenage glory putting it up in lights forever so that part of me never dies and this record well this one is about what comes next the party is about to start and i'm about to show you the new world so a lot of people were really intrigued by that because um Pure heroin was sort of like, what does it look like to be a teenager in this crazy world? And then melodrama was the aftermath of that. Um, And it was released in 2017. And it was obviously heavily produced by Jack Antonoff. And there is um, a really interesting discussion about melodrama and Jack Antonoff and Lord on the internet. And I don't want, we don't have to get into it all right now, but it's about how like, some people have this theory that melodrama is actually about uh, people have this theory that Lord and Jack Antonoff like dated when they were making melodrama, which would have been a big deal because I think at that point he would have been cheating on Lena Dunham. I don't they know. broke up in, I just had this pulled up. Uh, Lena Dunham and, and Jack Antonoff were together from, they were together from, and I can't, oh, uh, April 2012 through December of 2017. So yes, they would have been cheating. Yeah. And so a lot of people have this theory that like, melodrama is about their relationship and like when they were together and like the fact that like Jack Antonoff cheated on Lena Dunham with Lord and this big tumultuous this big tumultuous relationship came out of it because um melodrama is a breakup album and it's also a loose concept album and so I don't know how much I buy into this theory about it being about Jack Antonoff but you could do your own research 
make your own decisions, but I'm just putting that out there that like, he definitely had a heavy hand in this album. I mean, you can, I think there's one song on the album that he's not credited on. And that's, I think, Homemade Dynamite. But that's besides the point. So when we talk about melodrama, and like I said, this record did come out on June 16th, 2017. It's 11 songs in 41 minutes. All of this was new to me. I wasn't sure what I was getting. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure what I was walking into. I didn't know what it was going to sound like. Right, which is really interesting to me. That's why I asked if you ever listened to Pure Heroin, because the reason that like this album, I think, so she hired Jack Antonoff because she really wanted melodrama to sound sonically different entirely from Pure Heroin. Pure Heroin is a very like minimalistic sounding album. And obviously melodrama is not. Obviously it's not, Marie. And that's such a tremendous point. So that's the thing. First song on the album is Greenlight. And I didn't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't this. And I have to say, I was blown away by this song. This song This song is incredible. Okay. I am such a huge fan, but you were saying earlier when you first heard it, you were kind of tentative towards it. Yeah. So where where do we stand on it now? So when Greenlight was dropped as a single, I was like, not for me because it was I didn't really understand like the the like build up in the song and then the um like the chorus of it it just like didn't I don't know it kind of like rubbed me the wrong way when I heard it but when I listen to it now with the album as a whole I really really enjoy it because of like the album as a whole we talked about briefly before that like melodrama is loosely a concept album it like loosely follows uh I think she talks about how it would loosely follow a like house party is supposed to be the concept of it um and that uh it follows like the framework of a single house party with the different events in the moods um and the fact that like it's also a breakup album so she's expressing her experience going through her first breakup about moving out of her parents home about spending her, her time isolated about um both the favorable and unfavorable aspects of that. And I think when you know that about melodrama as a whole, I really like Greenlight. So she, in an interview, said that uh, the song is really about those moments kind of immediately after your life changes and about all the silly things that you gravitate towards and how somebody can say like, oh, I really like the beach, but you're like, what the fuck? No, you don't. Like, you're (laughs) you're literally lying. Um, And... I think that's really funny because like right after you go through a breakup and it's so crazy, you sort of have this desire to like, you want to move forward with your life, but you can't always do that right away, which is like what the metaphor of the green light is. Like you're waiting for the green light in your life to say go. A lot of people felt like it was a Gatsby reference when it first came out. And she was like, no, it just means like green means go, which I think is very ironic. Um, I, I read that people thought it was a Gatsby reference. I, of course, did not know what they were talking about. I do not know what that is, but I will- Did you I, read The Great Gatsby? No, no, no knowledge of it whatsoever. What do you mean? I've never read the book. I don't know what it's about. Did you not have to for English class? My cat just came in. <laughs> hey, Rory, you want to come up? Come here. As Marie uh, assists her cat up onto the desk, no, I never, I never read that in English class. I never did such a thing. Uh, it's a, it's a work. I have no knowledge of the book, of the movie. I really don't have any interest in it because they all seem like rich people. They are. That's the whole point. The green light in Gate Great, the Great Gatsby is like um, Gatsby puts a little green light at the end of his, bow, like dock to like signal to. Di- it doesn't matter. It's it has no point here. Um, anyway. <laughs> 
What do you think about the production of this record compared to the more minimalistic sounds of Pure Heroin? Because there are a few songs on this album and specifically kind of tracks two through four. So I, we're going in order, even though it's not really mm-hmm. what I intended, but there are, there are some production sounds that I'm not really crazy about, actually. I don't like the way the drums sound in mm. particular on a lot of these songs. Now, maybe that's just... The, this will sound uh, bizarre coming out of my mouth, but I have okay. been listening to a lot of Southern hip hop lately. And I kind of think, <laughs> not, look, I don't mean to brag, but I do like the rap music. Uh, and, and there's been like, I think that is a sound where they have it dialed in and I know exactly what those drums sound like. And I like those drums. And here I just found, I found some of these songs to be a little off-putting. I didn't think they sounded sharp. I didn't think they were as crisp as they possibly could have been. And I was a little let down by some of the songs on this album, not necessarily because of Lord's voice or the lyrics she brought to it. I just didn't think the song sounded that great. Mm. I think that's interesting because I really like the production on the album. I think that the layered vocals and like the de- like the dense beats that you hear are really engaging. Um, I like the use of like synth in it a lot. Um, I'm interested to know what songs let you down. Because so something else that I think a lot of people don't realize about Lord and about the album is Lord has, I think uh, it's color to sound or sound to color synesthesia. Yes. And so uh, melodrama is not like every sound and every feeling also got a color and like the uh, um, emotion and the way the way it invoked feelings, I think. Um, to me, I think really shines through through the production. Like she definitely has an intent that she's going for. Um, but I, when I first listened also through the album, there were a lot of songs that I was like, I don't know how I feel about this right away um, because I don't think the sound, songs sound the way you expect them to. Um, there are just a few songs where I think the production is a little bit grating. I think uh, I'd have to look at the names. Um, I know for me, homemade dynamite was one where I was like, I don't, I don't like the way this song sounds. I thought in particular drums just did not sound good. I feel like, um, on all the, the songs on the album, homemade dynamite probably isn't my favorite. I really like lyrically homemade dynamite. I think it's a really fun song. Um, it's the, it's a song about friendship. It's not about breakup. It's about like a relationship with friends. And I think, um, there is something really satisfying about the line where she goes, no, you know, you're really gonna blow. And then it's like super fun to me. It always makes me smile. Um, but what's really interesting about that song is that's the one song that's not produced by Jack Antonoff. He had no yes. hand in the production of it. Um, yeah, it's an okay song. It's not my favorite. It's probably be one that like, if I were to listen through the album, it's not one that I'm like, oh, I'm so excited that it's on. It's good. One of the songs that I did really like the production of because it was, for a lot of it so stripped back and intimate was liability and i i okay so i really liked this song i i you have such a look of intensity on your face and i don't know if that's because you're a fan of this song or not well i feel like everybody's a fan of liability okay so when i feel like so surprised that you like just didn't really know a lot about this album because i I feel like when the album came out any of these songs before i had no knowledge of this album (laughs) when um melodrama came out liability was used as a um promotional single when it came out and um people fucking loved it like liability is like a song that like you want to cry in your apartment too like it is so intimate it's really a melancholy it's really lonely um and it's just a song about how lord wrote it about how she is having this experience where 
the result of her newfound fame and it affect in how it affects her emotional emotional health is also affecting her relationships with people and how she's letting people down or people are letting her down and so it's really just like herself on her own um and she i i so when i was doing research into these songs she said that she was inspired to write it at, because when she was driving home in a taxi one night after a hike crying she was listening to rihanna's album anti and listened to the track higher and it just made her sob and she was like she went home to just herself and it was just her all alone um i want to look up the lyrics to it uh but every perfect summer is eating me alive until you're gone is so lonely to me because obviously like the symbolism of, of summer um is a season that always comes to an end like summer break in school like you always have to go back and summer is pitched as like this incredible perfect experience and uh the fact that through this whole experience like it is just weighing on her and it is eating her alive because people always end people always leave just like Peyton Sawyer says like people always leave but it is it's this um, notion that uh every single person around her um is going to be affected by her in some way and every person around her is going to affect her in some way because of this lonely experience of fame but I love that she doesn't talk about it in being like a I'm a star like I think the only first time that she really references it is at the end when she's like they're gonna watch me disappear into the sun um because she's like this burning uh star like literally like star yeah, quote yeah. Quote. um and that's what makes it so relatable because it's obviously it's a piano ballad and um in an interview she said like it's not really about anyone it's not even really about me it's just about this experience of loneliness and this experience of like lack of friendship and also this experience of being like I know that I have myself and I still feel lonely in that because maybe you don't like yourself um I also like the narrative shift in the first verse where uh you switch from first person to a third person perspective i remember feeling like that was so fun as like the language person it's just like such a uh it keeps you on your toes and i like the metaphors that she uses in the song um about how like she's a trick or she's a toy and the tricks don't work anymore um and the language of you're a little much for me saying that like you could be enough but it's just like a little bit too much not saying like oh this person is over dramatic they're a lot um so, so let me yeah. ask you this, because I, I we might have talked about this in the Jack's Mannequin episode. I apologize, I don't remember. But this song made me think of something that, that you've talked about before. And I don't necessarily know if it's a one-to-one comparison, but mm. it is what sparked in my mind of this idea that you've talked about of you have what you call a pedestal complex. And oh, yeah. It's kind of a grading, uh, it, it causes mental and emotional fatigue to some yeah. extent. Can you briefly explain what that is? Like, I feel, or... Like I put people on a pedestal or the other way around? The other way around. Oh, I feel like, um, I feel like also a lot of women probably experience this. Um, But I know that like in high school, when I was just starting to get into like dating and that experience with men specifically, um, (laughs) you roll your eyes, but there's a really good point in time where Case thought I just exclusively dated women. This Um, is true. And I had no knowledge or like no evidence. I would date a woman, but still. (laughs) I had no um, evidence to use it. I was just like, oh, well, that's, she's not straight. And I was. (laughs) I mean, not entirely wrong, but it was just very funny to me um, that uh, 
I think a lot of women probably have this experience where they make friends with a boy or a person. And then like after a month, this person is like, I'm in love with you. And you're like, you don't know me. What the heck? And that feeling of um, sort of learning that experience of like, oh, this is what it looks like to be in like, I don't know what it's like to have friendship with people because all they do is tell me that they love me when I just want to be their friend or I just want to have natural relationship. Um, And it doesn't necessarily happen that much anymore, but it did happen a lot in high school. And I thought I was the only one experiencing that because at least for my group of friends that I had in high school, not a lot of other people were dating, which was weird. I know that like some people are probably like, that's so weird. Like everybody was experiencing that. But in my group of friends, um, one person was in a really long-term relationship, which that couple is now married. Um, and then the other like women in that rela- in that friend group were not dating. I was the only person who was dating. Um, and so I felt like this was happening to me a lot. And I was very lonely in that because I felt like nobody really wants to get to nobody. Nobody wants to be my friend. Nobody wants to be intentional about it. It's all just about like, what can I get from this girl? What can I date with this? Like, can I take her on a date? Can she be somebody to make me better? And when you're just experiencing love and relationship for the first time and you don't realize that it can feel really lonely to have somebody be like, well, if you're not going to date me back, then like, I don't want to be your friend. I don't want you in here. And so I felt like everybody has this ideal version of me or men specifically have this version of me. And I don't know what to do with it because it's not who I am. I want to talk about the song writer in the dark, because it made me think of you as someone that has been known to put pen to paper. Uh Uh-huh. I also think it's the worst song of the album. I could oh. not, I could not stand this song. I think it's horrible. Hor- okay, why do you think it's horrible? Because that's very strong. And I'm gonna stand by it. I why? think I think it is whack, quite frankly. She talks okay. about ruining the day like she's Neville from iCarly. I don't like the lyrics. I don't like the production. I think it is a wild miss from a pop star that I typically really enjoy. Okay. Um, so <laughs> that, okay. made me very nervous. <laughs> well, I guess to, to me, me, like, uh, I have to, I'm really trying to remember if this is the one that has the, like, there's one song on the album that has this like really grating noise at the end. And I feel like it might be this one, but I'd have to go and like pull it up on my Spotify to double check. Um, that might be supercut. That might be what follows. I don't think it's supercut. Let me, I really like supercut. I, 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 I really like supercut too. So please let us know on Twitter uh, which song on Melodrama. No, I'm going to look it up. I'm looking it up right now uh, because I have to find this out. Actually, I should have just done it on my phone. It's hard feelings and loveless. This noise. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh my god it's that was a bad part of it but that one that part of that song always makes me like i don't really enjoy that but i really like that song anyway not the point um i would agree though so if i were to pick like uh, my least favorite songs in the album it would be homemade dynamite and it'd be writer in the dark both of them were songs that i just didn't really jive with in the sense but um sorry there is a bee right outside this window and my cat is paws on it like really trying to yeah, there's glass so he'll be fine but it's very funny um i had a dog that used to eat bees it was a very interesting <laughs> it was kind of cool because it wasn't a super athletic dog the dog didn't do much but he could like catch bees in the air and eat them and i always i like that that's really funny would its mouth like swell no because they were carpenter bees they didn't have stingers on them. Oh, okay yeah so did, snack for him did you look up anything about rider in the dark 
Uh, I did at some point, but I was so annoyed. I, I know she's talking about uh, an ex that she'll love forever and, and this and that. She says at some point, it's not a historical document. It's not a police record. It's not journalism, uh, but it is in some way her story. I just thought the song was corny as hell. I was just not into this. I So I like the lyrics of some of I like some of the lyrics. I really like the line, uh, stood on my chest and kept me down. Mm. I think that's a really interesting perspective on, I feel like I say the word interesting a lot, but I have no other synonyms. Oh, that's but, a very interesting observation, Marie. Well, it's a really, I really like that lyric because she talks about in the song how um, this person left to be a good man for someone else, but couldn't have been that for her and now resents her for being successful. And um, in the relationship, Lord says like, I tried to exist for you and it wasn't enough. And then you've left me. And so it's this lonely feeling of being like, I am giving you everything and you're still rejecting that. Um, and moving past that. So like say the perspective of being finished with something, but feel still feeling like you had something to say, almost like that, like ben vendetta. Um, she also has a quote from an interview that says that it's interesting when you're a female and you write this confessional, painfully honest music about your life, there's a lot of guilt associated with sharing that. And so like, I think the song is supposed to be uncomfortable because she feels guilty for like expressing this frustration, um, which I never would have expected. Uh, but that kind of feels like what we were talking about with Taylor Swift at the start of the show, where she's a woman sharing her feelings and there's a weird amount of backlash that can come with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, people could react differently to it and knowing like, especially in this song, um, I have to I have to scroll down and find it. Um, in the song, it's sort of like her way of explaining to people that like, this is who I've always been and this is like who I was when you met me and it's who I'm going to continue to be after you leave. And uh, this is exactly what you knew was gonna happen and you still did it anyway and now you're upset with me don't jump he wants to jump off the thing and all of my cords are right here <laughs> don't do it having I, a cat is so fun um but i will say that like uh it's the one song that i don't really enjoy the chorus of yeah it's a the, like it's, i am my mother's it, child i was like oh, i don't like it just it wasn't if the chorus was stronger, me. I could forgive the song, but I, it really lets me down on all fronts. Whereas I think what follows, which is the final song that I really want to talk about, Supercut, it's not as strong as Green Light, but it's the same idea of this kind of shouty, up-tempo mm -hmm. chorus that I really like. Now, in the song, she does say, in your car, the radio up, uh, we keep trying to talk about us. I'm someone you maybe might love. I'll be your quiet, be quiet afternoon, afternoon crush. crush. Be your violent overnight, violent overnight rush. rush. Make you crazy be over my touch. Lord, let's settle down a little bit. Uh, it's just, that's a I lot. love Supercut. <laughs> I have to shut my blinds really quick. Of course. Uh, it's, it's a lot uh, going on there. It's awfully aggressive. But when I think about what I want from like a fun pop song, this is almost a can maybe this is a maybe this is a dumb comparison to most people but to me this is almost like an edgier version of Katy Perry's teenage dream and I find it I so like that. that you brought up Katy Perry please um so this has nothing to do with melodrama but it does have a lot to do with the way that Lord became a celebrity and that was uh when uh, we had talked about this like before things started recording, but um, a lot of her success can be attributed obviously because she's an incredible musician and artist, but also because of Spotify. And like, so when Spotify first came around, 
um, Spotify had been on the scene for a while, but it wasn't like a really big platform. And um, then Lord had released, Lord released her first EP um, and Royals was on that EP. And then it was also on her debut album. And Spotify was trying to prove that it was sort of like a viable platform that could make music big. And so they had, so Lord had a lot of success in New Zealand, but they wanted her to be an international star. And Spotify wanted to say like, hey, we can make people, this is a respectable music platform. So knowing that she had the potential and she was signed to a big record, Spotify just uh, put Royals on, I think like two different playlists, like the hit indie playlist. And then by like the end of that week or something it had, it was like on the hot 100. So uh, there was a really interesting Forbes article that like went through the timeline of it. So Royals was added to Spotify on March 19th. The track was added to the Hipster International playlist on April 2nd. And then by April 8th, it was on the Spotify viral charts. And then one week later, it hit number one. And then by June 10th, it had debuted in the US. And so like, um, but what was interesting is that they purposely put her on this like pop indie playlist because they wanted her to be associated with artists like Katy Perry that could be versatile. And they wanted her to be associated with artists like Taylor Swift that could provide different sonic sounds, which to me is so ironic because she is nothing like either of them. <laughs> no, but uh, Katy Perry is a, has a really interesting career arc that- Oh yeah. Like when she was brought onto the scene, it was because she was- not quite the Avril Lavigne, like I'm a rocker no. chick, that old like Avril Lavigne soundbite, but Katy Perry was brought in as the girl that used to go to punk shows and is now a pop star. She had this edge to her that she started as a Christian artist. She started as a Christian artist, which is true. And then her first few singles, I know were sent to alternative radio stations, mm -hmm. which now I work for an alternative radio station. We play Lord and it sounds like nothing else that we play, but she's mm -hmm. in our rotation, specifically the stuff from Pure Heroin. And it's just, like, Katy Perry is fascinating because I- we should, we should talk about Katy Perry sometime because she's very intriguing. Have you watched her uh, documentary? No, I have been too busy watching Demi Lovato documentaries. Ugh, also good, also good. Uh, anyway, it, back to Supercut. Yes, yeah, back to Supercut, go ahead. Uh, Supercut, I think is a really interesting, uh, or Supercut, I really like this song in the album. It was, it's probably, um, if I had to, mm, it's really hard to pick a few favorites off of it. But when I, I remember when I first listened to the album, my favorite song on the album was The Louvre and then it was Supercut. And, uh, I feel like Supercut is a really sad song mm. and it doesn't feel like a set. It's obviously like a very energetic song. Um, but it's so sad to me because, so I listened to this album driving down to my incredible boyfriend's house to visit him. Um, I love Case Dearly, uh, but I Thank had you. just, you're welcome. I had just gotten out of a relationship with a really great person. Like we talk a lot about uh, that breakup or we did, we don't really talk about it anymore because it was so long ago. <laughs> When it happened, I remember we had a lot of conversations about it. I also remember us like visiting a park once to hang out and me being like, we have to leave right now. He's walking his dog. I was pulling up to that park and you'd be like, wouldn't it be weird if we saw this guy? And then oh. within five minutes of us being there, we saw that guy. And, and I was I felt, like, we have to leave. We I have felt to really leave. bad about that. No, it's okay. <laughs> I just, it was crazy. But um, Supercut felt really personal because when I was going through that experience of being like, I don't know if this relationship is going to work anymore. Like this person is so great. They haven't done anything terrible to me. Um, it sort of felt like 
this, where supercut is this experience of exploring your life after a breakup and remembering all the good memories, but recognizing like, that's not the whole reality of it. And, um, Lord wrote this song saying it was a sister song to her song ribs on pure heroin, which is a song about a party. Um, and supercut feels very energetic and like you're confronted with all these great experiences while also sort of ignoring like that messy feeling underneath. Um, and at the end, the song sort of begins to fade out. Like that is how supercut ends. And when that, I remember driving down and listening to this album for the first time and hearing that sort of fade and being like, this is so sad. Like, it just feels like you're sort of realizing that these really happy memories are just, they're not true in the way that they should be. You remember them better than they are. They're too sweet. And the song, I think it's really fun that she says, um, like, I'll be your quiet afternoon crush, be your crazy overnight rush. Like everything is too, it's too good. It's too like sugar-coated. Um, and that's really painful to like have to look back on a relationship. And it takes a lot of growth to be able to look back and recognize the bad parts. I mean, when you went through a really hard breakup, it was hard to think about like, nothing was ever bad in this. Like everything was good. Everything was perfect. Why would it end? And it's not, it's, it's, that's not true. And that is really painful to realize, but it's also painful. It's like almost like self-sabotage to trick yourself into like having this supercut memory. Um, Yeah. I always just remember being like, I feel like a lot of people aren't going to find this song sad. And I do. I think that it totally reframes the way I look at the song, but I really think you're onto something with that. That's a, a fascinating take. I ask you as we kind of round out our review of melodrama here, is there anything specifically that we did not talk about this album that you wanted to be sure to mention? Oh yeah. I want to talk about, um, well, we can just say that I love the song, the Louvre. Just, there are like a few things that I want to add. One, I really like the song, the Louvre. I, I think didn't know that's really- how you said that word. I'm glad you said that. Uh, the Louvre. How do yeah. you think you said it? I thought it was going to be Louvre. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. At least it wasn't the lore or something. Um, I remember really li- listening to the Louvre the first time and finding um, the break into the chorus, how like it changes into like broadcast the boom, boom, boom. And make all- like, I was like, this is- it was so sonically satisfying. I love it. I like the line. Um, I like her lyrics in that song about how like um, uh, megaphone to my chest. Like, I really yeah. like that idea. Um, I like that uh, she there's a quote from her spinoff article or spinoff podcast where she says that um, I wanted to give the feeling of just like a big sun soaked dumbness of falling in love. And it's like, your whole head is like glue. It's amazing. It's like drugs. It's like, I want to be with you all the time. I just want to listen to you talk and look at your face and do those dumb things when you talk. And I feel like there's, I feel like the instrumentation of the song kind of helped to get there. And I would agree. This song feels like that manic experience of like being in love with someone and being obsessed with them. Um, and I really like the line, uh, they'll hang us in the Louvre. And then she says, down the back, but who cares? Still the Louvre. Like, it's going to be crazy and it's going to be weird, but it still counts. Um, it feels like summer, but also like kind of sad all at once that you know this sort of like manic experience is going to end. I think it's the first time in the album that you can hear Jack Antonoff's production because the ble- the like guitar in it feels very bleachers to me. Um, and I think it was interesting that she was inspired to write this after listening to Frank Ocean's album, Blonde. I am on record on this podcast as not understanding Frank Ocean's appeal. 
I was called homophobic for it once. That is not why I do not like Frank Ocean. I just don't get the album. Your other thoughts on melodrama? Um, I wanted to ask your opinion on the way that she uses like reprises and um, like almost duplicate songs. So you have Sober and then you have Sober 2, melodrama, and then you have Liability and you have Liability, uh, is it? reprise or reprise i think I it's would reprise. Say reprise i would say yeah. reprise um because i in my experience of both of these songs sober to melodrama and the liability reprise i prefer over the like initials i feel that way about sober i think the second version of sober rocks I, it's so good stylistically i don't have any issues with it i i i would lean towards saying if you can avoid it, I would rather just have fully original material all throughout the album. Like one thing that bugs me because I think it's a very self-indulgent thing to do is when artists will have the final song in the album reference all of the other songs, like they're mm-hmm. tying it all together. I don't like that. I think that's just obnoxious. This is a little more self-contained. I don't mind it as much. And when the songs are good, the songs are good. So I'll shut up and listen to it. So I don't have any issue with it on this album. Mm-hmm. I was just curious because I really like the way she uses them. I like Sober 2. I like Sober 2 Melodrama. A really good uh, song. Because Sober is like the experience of the party. And then Sober 2 is like what happens when the lights come up and how you feel like, oh my God, <laughs> everything is like, it's just like this sort of, sort of like every, it's lonelier. And mm-hmm. I really like that. Um, I like that she pulls in the title of the album Melodrama. I think the concept of Melodrama is so appealing, but I also love drama. Um, I like the way that the liability reprise, I like the, um, I like it sonically. I like how there's like a lot of layering to it. Um, it's always appealing when I listen to it. It just, there's songs that I never skip and that I want to go back and listen to. I really like the line in liability reprise where she says, but you're not what you thought you were because the second, the liability reprise sort of talks about how like you didn't know who you were in this experience of liability. And now you kind of do, and it's not what you expected. Like you can be alone and you can be okay. And it's going to be sad, but like, it's not going to be the end of the world. And that's really comforting. I think specifically on a loose concept album like this, having those topics that you can revisit, I think works very well as that act one, act two structure. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a huge one. I think they both add quite a bit to this record. Mm Mm-hmm. That's really all I have to say is that I really like it. Well, as for the review, is Pitchfork gave this an 8.8 out of 10 in Best New Music. It received an A from Entertainment Weekly and a 4 out of 5 from Rolling Stone. Marie Jurassic, I ask you, when it comes to Lord's Melodrama, who needs oh. to hear this album and why? Um, I don't, that's really hard because I. it's not an album like mm, everything trans where I'd be like, everybody should listen to this. <laughs> I feel like... Um, Lord is not an artist that everybody's going to love because she's kind of like, I don't know, kind of gritty in a different but w- way. But would you say she's one of the most respected pop stars? Yeah, I would say yeah. so. I think that um, the way that she makes music is super uh, different. Um, and I feel like she, I mean, her third album is very highly anticipated. People are waiting on the edge of their seat for it. Um, I'm very, certainly very excited for it. Um she had to delay it because her dog died. Which is a crazy reason to uh, delay an album, in my opinion. Well, 
Maybe sorry, I hate it. Sorry, I hate animals. I'm sorry. I don't I know, know what to tell it's people. Okay. She also was in Antarctica for a while. So that's true. This I read this. She's releasing today. a book. I feel like um, people who should listen to melodrama are people who are very similar to what I said on the Jack's Mannequin episode. People who are kind of lonely and figuring out like that you say you laugh like it's a bad thing but I think it takes a lot of courage to admit that you're lonely I say it every day (laughs) I think people need who um are experiencing heartbreak should listen to this album and I also think people who have experienced heartbreak should listen to this album I I think think people yes who um are in their 20s should listen to this album um and I feel like people who are sort of grappling with um, the question, what next, should listen to the album because it sort of pulls all of that idea together of like heartbreak is not just about losing somebody you love, but it's also about like being at this house party and having all these different emotions and feeling lonely and feeling overwhelmed and feeling overstimulated and um, what are both the favorable and unfavorable aspects of growing and learning. And so um Maybe there's a theme in the type of music I listen to, actually. I think that's okay, though. I think that's good. That's good realization. Marie, thank you for coming on this podcast. Oh, you're I thought welcome. That was, that was such a beautiful explanation of who should listen to this record, really. I thought that was very well done. Before you go, is there anything you would like to plug, Marie? No, I don't really do anything. <laughs> I mean, if people want to follow me on social media, they can. It's not that exciting. I don't really post ever anywhere else. Um, when, I, when I see, like, Marie post an Instagram story... It's kind of an event because I'm like, what oh, yeah. could this be? She's, I she never post, post anywhere. Anything. Yeah, I like very occasionally will retweet things on Inst- on Twitter. Uh, but I'm at Inky Squares on everything. Um, but I don't really do. So I like work in marketing and I do social media for my job. The idea of doing it for fun is so not appealing to me. Uh, you're I... a working woman. You have you have your own life going on, and it's not... why would I want to post on Instagram when I have to do that for my like real life job every day? It's so exhausting. And like, I have this like weird relationship with social media where like I don't really like I don't really give a shit if people are posting about what they're eating so like why should I like talk about my life well at least we have Acacia Kersey to bond over queen oh my god just moved that's a a separate podcast I can't we can't go another hour okay I hope she gets help uh with what with her life she's doing fine (laughs) she moved to California it fixed everything well she's happier now you moved to Chicago when you felt better. Yeah, but I it didn't it didn't change drastically change who I was. I don't think it drastically changed who she was either. Interesting that Marie's defending Acacia. Very no, I'm not defending Acacia. I'm just saying that I think she's always been this like California person and like really except for organ- when she was an Oregon queen who bought a fucking like like a van to live in for a while. There are people in California doing that too. They're all the same on the West Coast right you know how those people are (laughs) well i mean like if you look at the trends of like natural influencers and like being like we're doing it on our like it would she could be in oregon she could be in california and she would be doing the same shit just like next to a beach i'm on both twitter and instagram at underscore case low (laughs) c-a-s-e-l-o-w-e the podcast itself can be found on instagram at art school albums Mm -hmm. marie Jurassic. thank you for everything thank you for doing this podcast you're the best thank you for having me this has been lord's mellow drama.